Welcome to Happy Hour with Two Teachers Walk Into a Bar. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Nancy. Hey, hey, everybody. So I love the title of today's uh, podcast episode. It's This Is Your Circus and These Are Your Monkeys. Basically, That's we're so talking you. about how to group <laughs> students. Right? Oh, yeah, that is so me because I am a circus <laughs> monkey. Let's face it. I'm even wearing my little oh, hat right now. That's an organ grinder <laughs> monkey, isn't it? Maybe they're circus monkeys. Oh. All right. So I am a firm believer in front loading. And therefore, once again, I start this episode with the information that you need to know in case you're one of the 98% of people who do not listen to a podcast um, from beginning to end. I don't want you to miss out on the information of how to get a hold of us. You can uh, email us at two teachers walk into a bar at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our webpage at two teachers walk into a bar.com. And you can listen to us and subscribe on any of the podcast platforms. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook and any other cool happening places where, you know, podcasters <laughs> are found. All right. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say is this, and it kind of is on the heels of today's episode. We're talking about grouping students. Next episode, we are going to be joined by another special guest. I'm so excited, and I was so excited to have Marin here uh, last time. We're going to be talking to Laura Troca, and she is a guru of a resource specialist. And that title might vary from state to state or district to district. But she Right, is, I was wondering that. Yeah, she's the one that works with students who have been designated um, um, with a learning disability. They've been tested and they have been um, identified as someone with a learning disability. So she, you know, I, I didn't understand as a brand new teacher how critical it is that we work with our RSP teachers, our resource teachers, our speech teachers, our um, APE teachers for, um, uh, yes, you know, the physical education adaptations. We have to work with these people in order to really get our students to their IEP goals. It's critical. Yes. We owe them that. It really is. Yeah. And so I'm looking and forward. And that's where, mm -hmm. yeah, that's where with the grouping students, I always tried to have my resource teacher come at that time when I was grouping um, and if you plan well with them, it really is like a well-oiled machine, but teachers are always so busy and you don't, you yeah. don't have the time to sit there and navigate, you know, their schedule with your schedule. Yes. So I, I do understand why that's so difficult, but they well, are there for and it's the students a total trickle to down us. problem because the, the, the problem at its pinnacle is really that our resource people, our support staff are overloaded with their yes, student. there's um, one of them. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so a lot of programs, they vary in structure. So you're talking about a push in where that person comes to your classroom and assists students with the curriculum that you're teaching in the moment. And I've never really had that. Um, well, at right. least not in recent memory. Uh, my students are pulled out. And I, I was sitting with my older sister who teaches sixth grade. And again, she's older. I just like to point out that I'm not the oldest one uh, in my family. Um, and she, ha I, it, we were, it was winter break, so there's no school, but her alarms kept going off on her phone. And I said, what, 
what's that? And she'd just turn them off and not do anything in response to the sound. She said, oh, those are the times that all my kids, different kids leave for this or that or the other. And I was like, wow, okay, that's that's a lot of coming right. and going. And it really does impact your day because you have to it plan does. around all of this. And, and, you know, legally, these all of these children need to be exposed to the curriculum at your grade level in its entirety. Mm-hmm. But that's really hard when they're gone for right. a couple hours a day sometimes. And I don't know about you, Nancy, but that drove me nuts when they'd mm-hmm. walk back in. It's not their fault, but it like kind of triggers yeah. me a little to remembering right. of when they'd come back in, what are you doing? You know, like, yes. you know, to the whole class. And then you're like, okay, you know, to try and stop what you're doing in the middle of, you know, teaching and get them back going. So I always tried to have something that they knew. Don't come in and interrupt, you know, yes. like, a, again, a well-oiled machine and well, the culture and- of your classroom. We can, um, that, that really does speak directly to what we're talking about today, because what I did was, and again, it's different in the upper grades because, you know, those few years between primary and upper really lend a lot of wisdom to kids, um, and a degree of responsibility that you can count on, um, for the most part. I do love that part of upper. But when they would come back into the room and we're in the middle of some sort of lesson, I always had them seated next to a person who I called their wing person. Um, so you know how pilots will fly their buddy into yeah. a landing if they're struggling. I top gun, the first top gun being the yeah. cougar, cougar, you know, yeah. he needed yeah. talk a Talk to man. me, goose. Talk to me, goose. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when, you're, when you're thinking about those kids walking into your room from yes. a, a pullout program, just remember in your head, talk to me, goose. Give them a goose yes. to talk to, you know, yes, sit them I like next that. to somebody who can say, hey, we're working on this. Take out this. We need this um, <clears throat> and catch them right up. And that way they they don't feel like a sore thumb sticking out because they should never feel that way. But also, um, you know, they can assimilate very quickly. But I, I swear it's those kids and in those instances where they develop survival skills and it's hard for new teachers, I think, to recognize what those are. But a lot of times when you see a kid who comes back into the room and then they just sit down quietly and they literally just sit there and an hour has gone by and you realize they produced nothing or they right, asked right, right. nothing and they've learned <laughs> nothing. It's because right. their survival strategy is I don't want to draw attention to myself that I was even in a pullout program. So I'm just going to slink back into the room and I'm going to sit down so that no one notices me. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, so that's what we're talking about today. How do you group students? Yeah. So an, another form of grouping, and I'm, I have a question for you for seating charts, like, cause you said putting them by the goose or the wingman. So in upper grade, did you ever let them pick their own wingman? Like, did you let them sit where they want to sit? Did you do a seating chart? Cause that's kind of a form of grouping and learning. I am so glad you asked this question. Yes. And I didn't figure this out until almost like probably the last 10 years of my career. On the very first day of school, (laughs) you let children sit exactly where they want. So you make sure that everyone has the same identical materials in their desk. I always handed out materials prior to the first day of school, put them in their desk so that everyone had the same thing. And I knew it. Um, And then I had name tags printed out for each child. 
And as I called their names, they would come up and get it. But what you do in allowing them to sit wherever they want on the first day of school is you figure out who has friends, who those friends are, and who's a loner. Interesting. And that told me volumes about these kids. And in the upper grade, again, you have this luxury of being able to say to those kids, listen, and I would say, you know, Bob and Susie, I want you to hang out with me at at recess for just a couple of minutes because I have a question for you. I know you guys are best friends. You chose to sit together. I'm having a little bit of problem with the degree of conversation that you're having or the fact that you're messing around. Show me how responsible you can be and that you can attend to learning together and be an example for the rest of the students or I'm going to split you up. Got it. More often than not, Those kids were able to bring it, you know, and they were able to. Yeah, I love that. To say, oh, wow. I don't think I've ever done that, Nancy. In all my years of teaching, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think back. I think I always just kind of, you know, put the names where, I mean, remember, I usually had first grade or, you know, third grade where they kind of need that direction. Like, where's my name? And they're nervous. So they just sat. Of course. Yeah. I I don't remember my name. Yeah. You know, I know. (laughs) They really do love each other still all. Yes. For at least the first day. Yes. But you know. And they're so forgiving. It's, it's, uh, I would like to honor friendships always when I can and when they're responsible. But as the year goes on and you start to do a lot, like almost everything I did in my classroom with the exception of assessment was cooperative. They were almost Mm -hmm. always working in partners, but partners as part of a larger group. So let's say I had tables of six. And again, not every year can you do this. If you've got some real behavior issues in your classroom that are not um, you know, copesthetic with this whole thing, then you mm-hmm. just, you can't, you have to alter what you normally do. But when, when I could, I would have groups of six. I would have friends together if they were working well together, but I would also make sure that I had varying levels of students. Now I never, in fact, I left my first district because they were so, so about labeling when the star test came out. I don't know if you're old, mm. if you've been teaching long enough to remember the, um, the star test, it was, you had kids that were far below basic, below basic, basic, proficient and advanced. And in that first district where I taught, they, I remember a principal saying to me, send all your below basics to blah, 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 blah. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, are we really? Is that where we are? We're just calling kids by their test scores. I mean, that's atrocious, right. and it's so right. counterintuitive to everything we know about how kids learn and about affective filters and about their own perception of what they're capable of doing. Hey, all right, I'm going to send all the far below basics to this one particular teacher for this one particular lesson. And they all know, oh, I know why I'm here because so-and-so is here. We're all far below base. That, that's what I was going to ask because I do, Nancy, there's a part of me that sees that how that could work uh-huh. because like let's say everyone, let's say we did a multiplication lesson and all the kids that do not know like two times one, you know, yes, the basic, sure. basic uh, they, they miss the addition foundation or whatever. 
I could see taking those gr- that group of kids and then maybe the gifted and talented going to another level. Uh-huh. I've done that. Yep. For, for le- yeah, that's I do see benefits of that. But are you saying because I don't think all kids know. I, I know what you're saying. If you do it all the time and every day, like a, a class group, is that what you're saying? Uh-huh. Then they 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 tend to you know, take that kind of role that, oh, I'm below basic and I'm going yeah. to this group, like I'm the dummy math yeah. room or whatever. Right. So you're saying that, because there are times where I do feel like I did ability grouping like that, like all the kids that miss number two on the math test come here or, um, I wouldn't say it like that, but you know what I mean? It, it was a quick, I was always good about like trying to get really not let them do the lesson, uh, you know, further and further catch it right before they um, catch the problem and fix it before we went on to the next lesson. So I just want to clarify, what do you mean? Like, what were you so against it? Because there, I see that there's benefits of that too. Right. And so, so here's, here's, I think where the, the line of sort of um, delineate, the delineation comes in when kids are real little or when kids are in the primary grades and those foundational skills are being taught, there's almost like a, they're so still so egocentric that they mm-hmm. just, they know what they know and they know how they're doing and they're not so worried about how everyone else is doing. As they go on through the years and they, you know, move up to the upper grades, it becomes a very a social stigma, right? So there is, God, this is like so ambiguous it's like nailing jello to a tree there's a finesse to knowing when to do those groups and don't think that I didn't pull homogeneous groups I did like kids who were really struggling but we but there was such a culture in my classroom and I don't think primary kids are capable of this because they're just not aware of it but upper grade kids there was I we had such a culture of Everybody is here to grow and learn. Every single person sitting in a chair in this classroom is here to grow and learn. And frankly, I'm not accepted from that. I'm here to grow and learn too. How are we going to do that? Well, part of the way we're going to do that is we're going to understand our responsibility in the process of learning. The process of learning requires us to be an active participant. It requires us to ask questions. It requires us to seek clarification. It requires us to look at our own look, our own work and our own understanding and to find the weaknesses and use Mm -hmm. multiple strategies to, to strengthen them. Those multiple strategies are homogeneous groupings, working with a wing person, working as part of a larger group where they have models. And this is a place where my my former district was really um, sort of on the cutting edge of having language models for students who were coming in as second language learners. It was the the superintendent made very sure to balance the demographics at different sites so that there were lots of language models for different students. So they need all of those experiences. Sometimes yes. you need to pull your sweet and lows as we call them, right? Sometimes <laughs> you need to take the, those really high kids in math or writing and give them completely separate. Like I, I would always um, yeah. test them out of different chapters. They had to have 
you know, they had to mm-hmm. ace it or if they if they made a silly mistake, um, you know, they'd have to come over and explain to me what they did wrong. But um, I'd often have them working while I was sort of backtracking and going over foundational skills that I knew they already knew. I would have them working on something different, not more, <laughs> which is a really important right. distinction, right? Very, yes. Because those very kids important. often feel punished. Like, I didn't want to be exactly. in the gifted program or the high achieving uh <laughs> You Here's know, your group. next, you know, yes. yeah. Here's another packet. <laughs> Sheet Here's of another packet. Yeah. Do this, yeah. do that. No. I'm and, glad you clarified that. Yeah. It's really important that we don't burden those students with more work. In fact, oftentimes it's those students who are, are lacking in organizational skills. So right. that would be a great challenge to, um, you know, put before them is find find a way that works for you to, to organize and, and let me right. know what interests you. And we'll find an yes. appropriate area of investigation for you to delve deeper into. You know, that's so you you talked about a couple of things that I. So even though I believe in ability grouping and you do too, I think yeah. that's why I wanted you to clarify that I think both of us agree we are not fans of standardized based test only. Right. Yes, it <laughs> yeah, could right. be one form, but project based. And um, I yeah. love that you took time to do cooperative groups because I think what a lot of um, maybe parents don't realize is how much work goes into the planning of those groups. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it And I think that's why a lot of teachers end up not doing it and doing it more whole group right. teaching, especially new teachers. It's, it's just kind of keeps everyone together. But really, it takes a lot of planning and thought when you're like, you know what, I'm going to have this project over here. Then we're going to rotate oh, at this time. Yes. I mean, I... I spent hours after school trying to plan those rotations and making sure when the resource student comes in, they have something, you know, to go to and bring and know what's going on and have their wingman. All of it is so much work, but it is so beautiful when it works, you it's know, so, and when it... It is beautiful. And that's why we mm-hmm. do what we do, isn't it? And, and I, I feel like I would tell students, if you don't understand this one thing today, don't worry about it think of meaningful questions Mm -hmm. promise yourself that you'll do your best to listen and to try but don't worry about it if it's not making sense today because it will and I'm gonna find you wherever you are and I'm gonna pull you along this is a seven ways to Sunday kind of thing if this right if homogeneous grouping didn't work. It it does work to some degree. And then we're going to hit you with some heterogeneous. Then we're going to hit you with some partner work. And then we're going to hit you with, you know, you're going to get every experience. Mm -hmm. And when those things are thoughtfully combined, it's almost impossible for kids to completely fall through the cracks. I mean, yes, that happens, but so much less frequently when we're flexible in our approach. And I agree. We're, and we're listening to them. We have to listen to them as opposed to simply looking at the data. You know, mm-hmm. um, like you said, the the standardized test scores, they're snapshots of what our students know in the moment. But as teachers, we could go on and on and on about how much more we know of them <clears throat> that the test, pardon me, didn't right. um, didn't demonstrate. But yes, we have to look at all methods of assessment from verbal to artistic to performance to because you know especially now these days where let's face it human beings are changing we don't have 
you know, oh, 30 little students yeah. who sit quietly behind their desk and listen to the teacher talk all day. That that frankly wasn't the best thing for kids anyway. Right, right. There's a lot more opportunities to teach yeah. in such clever, creative ways. And uh, it really, but it uh, these poor teachers, <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's like, okay, the three o'clock bell rings and that's when all your work in the eight hours of work go in, you know, when the students are there, that's when you're, you're doing the nitty gritty, but all the planning, all the hours of, of work of making these good lessons, finding the cool YouTube video that promotes, you know, whatever you're teaching. Um, there is a lot more out there, but it almost makes the work even that much harder to pull and decipher. But, but I think, and and maybe this is where the frustration of teachers comes in these days is that, You know, the people in the DO, God bless them, their hearts are in the right place. As hard as you might try as a district level administrator, there is no way that you are going to do your job and also stay in touch with the changing um, student population. Their needs change. And what I my our first year of teaching was somewhere around 94. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So children have changed so much in that time. It's. It's mind boggling. And if you're in a district level position, you don't know that. So the things that you're expecting of your teachers are frustrating your teachers in many ways because, and publishers don't know it either unless they're in the classroom. So you're being handed these materials, you're being trained in these materials, you're being mandated to use these materials. And oftentimes they fall on deaf ears because your audience isn't open to receive those things the way you've told them to be delivered. And it's hard because as teachers, we're so in tune with the ebb and flow of our students. We're so in tune with the rhythm that we have throughout the day of teaching and learning and playing and discovering things. And we, that's the stuff we love, right? Right, right. You shut the door and then what did was it Marin that said last week about you called them little chicken heads? Yeah, you just with your <laughs> you little chicken the heads. Little chicken heads. You know that their, their teacher uh, Kevin McGrory, um, he he used to just say, "I worked with Kevin. I yeah. love Kevin." He was like Tomei. I swear, do the names ever stop? And and I was like, "Yeah, I guess you're right," because they were my jelly beans, my chicken heads, my butter noodles, all of those things. Come here, little butter noodle. What can I do oh, for I you? Oh, I love it. Boys and girls, yes. you're all butter noodles. Yes. Or, you know, even those yes. who haven't decided, which is just fine. Um, I love it. Yeah. And so that's my that's my thought on grouping is that it is. Yeah. All of them are necessary. And I know I know what the response is going to be. When do you find time to do that? You find time to do that every minute. Yeah. Because you're. And it does, like, I'm glad you said that because sometimes it can be a little quick. Yes. Everyone, you know what? Guess what? You know, I realized that we all need to relearn, you know, do a reteach lesson on this. Don't feel bad if you didn't do well. You know, let's, I noticed it, the, you know, scores were a little low, like to show them it's okay. That's what we're here for. Exactly. And there, and, and, and all of those stigmas that we have attached to don't show anyone your answers. You know, I need to see just what you could do. Oh my gosh. In the world has changed into a place where it's not the most knowledgeable people who get the job. It's the people who work best with other people. And so, yes, 
you know, it's those uh, emotional intelligence uh, surveys and inventories that are being taken by major companies now. They don't care what skills you're coming in with. They care that you can learn them from the people that are there making the company work. And so it, I would often um, say, okay, you know, today, guys, we're taking uh, an assessment inventory. Uh, what, what, what are those? What does IAB stand for again? I don't even remember. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think but- it was assessment inventory but what was the b i don't remember but <laughs> but that's really I, embarrassing i know all my old colleagues are going wow it didn't take but a hot second for you to forget everything you do but uh, but i would have the students you know they, they would say oh no are we taking one yes we're taking one but guess what you're taking one with the person next to you or you're taking one with the person in the room with whom you feel most comfortable and when you get to a question where you don't automatically agree on the answer I want you to talk about it and I want you to argue your point of view and I want you to explain mm-hmm. your thinking because that's the expert thinking. That's the visible learning that has to be happening right. in our classrooms to prepare our kids to move into this world that, you know, where the jobs, Hey, if I, if I yeah. were what, their age now, I'd be going into drone technology. There's a, there's a patent out already for um, flying taxis, uh, Boeing, uh, Go ahead and look it up, everybody who's saying, what? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Boeing has a fleet so of we're there. flying taxis. We're there. And <laughs> so work, working with people is critical. So I wouldn't look at it as a, you know, I'm I'm grouping the kids in this way so that something can be delivered to them. I'm grouping the kids in multiple ways so that they can receive from all these different avenues more knowledge about what it is we're learning. Yes. Yes, you know? I agree. I hope, and I it is hard. It does take time to, you know, change it up. Yeah, I, I hope I didn't confuse people on that because I know, like I used no, to. I think. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, I think you were very clear about the the trick is not being afraid of the work that goes into yeah. it. It really does need to be done. Don't be teaching in one way. Yes. Let them be in groups. Let them have a voice, especially in upper grade yeah. with who they work with. Um, sometimes that's so fun for them and they get more into it with a friend well, and, and then they need to learn opportunity to, to accept responsibility right. for their exactly learning. you know that's that's critical right. well thank you charlotte for mm-hmm. that edification I yeah appreciate it. all right well i hope <laughs> i hope that was helpful and guess what guys again if you have questions about it or you want to talk more about it um you know shoot us an email to teachers walking to a bar at gmail.com or um you know shoot the question out there on facebook or instagram two teachers walk into a bar until then we hope you keep raising the bar yep cheers cheers